Keep calm and carry on. You guys seen this slogan on t-shirts, bumper stickers, posters? How many have seen this? Okay. <clears throat> the t-shirts and stickers have this slogan with a royal crown on it. Keep calm, carry on, and then there's a royal crown on there. Um, and apparently the design dates all the way back to the late 1930s. When the British government knew that they were going to need to boost the morale of the people as they were entering into war. And this poster had the image of the King, George, King George's crown on top, obviously because it's kind of like a royal decree here. <clears throat> and then with a simple message at the bottom, keep calm and carry on. It's a simple message that communicates and contains a lot of truth. In the face of fear, the best thing to do is continue what you have always been doing and alter nothing. Keep calm and carry on. This message needed to be heard by a particular church in the first century. This was a church who was going through a tough time of upheaval as many of their members, it seems, were turning away and leaving them just to start something new. As they claimed to have the real Jesus, the real gospel, gospel and then they were, it seemed like they were going to try and recruit real disciples of their own. So please turn to the book of 2 John with me. If you're new to the Bible, just turn all the way to the end, then you find Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and then you just turn left a couple pages, <clears throat> and eventually you'll get to the book, the letter of 2 John. If you're using one of the black Bibles there in front of you, you'll find it on page 1025, 1025. And this letter was written by John the Disciple, who also wrote 1 John and then 3 John. John the Disciple also wrote the Gospel of John, and then also Revelation. And here John is writing as an old man, as an elder of a church, looking out for the Christians and his sphere of influence. And if you're looking at the letter there, we're going to focus on verses 4 to 8, but I'll go ahead and read the whole entire letter of 1 John right now. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of that truth... That abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. In truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. To some of you guys, you have just completed reading an entire book of the Bible for the very first time. Second John, the often neglected letter. So there you have it. <clears throat> you can tell based on verses 7 to 11 
that the church was going through this upheaval. False teachers had arisen in their ranks. Some were probably accepting them with open arms. You know, some in the church, you know, imagine the young Christian who might not exactly know, uh, have a lot of wisdom. Maybe they're new in the faith. And then others were probably right to oppose it. And these false teachers were not just teaching things secondary in nature, right? They're not just emphasizing things that affect second-order doctrines or things that affect third-order doctrines. No, what they were teaching, what they were changing, affected what was, very, what was primary, what is center at the church's message. They were denying that Jesus was the Son of God come in the flesh. And instead, they opted for a different Jesus. And they taught that he just seemed to be man. Now, this basic teaching, scholars think, eventually came to be known as a second century heresy called Gnosticism. <clears throat> and the culture didn't have a category for the incarnation of, the, of God the Son. It just didn't fit with what they had perceived of the, the universe to be. So the spiritual stuff, of it, as I mentioned last week, the spiritual stuff was good. But the fleshy stuff, you know, the stuff of the body, that was bad. So based on their worldview or how they understood their world around them, they said, okay, well, there's no real room for the incarnation. So they decided to repackage Jesus and market him for their own generation. And they taught that Jesus only seemed to be man. Or another group, you know, they came up, this another group, subgroup of the Gnostics, they said that Jesus only became God at his baptism. When the Spirit came down on him, and then he ceased being God when the Spirit went up for him right before the crucifixion. And those were some of the alternatives. And we can turn to 1 John, actually, for more background. <clears throat> the commentaries uh, I read, and if you were to read them, they all indicate that 2 John addresses a lot of the same issues that 1 John addresses. So we're helped to hear a little of what's going on. Turn to uh, 1 John chapter 2. This is a passage that I read last week. I'll read it again. <clears throat> Verse 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Then he goes on to say, But you, friends, you true church, you have the Spirit, and you believe the right doctrine. So turn over to 1 John chapter 1. And we see here the emphasis that John is laying on the church. He wants to make it really clear God, the Son, actually took on flesh. And he says, that which was from the beginning, that is from eternity, not a created being, which we have heard, right, we heard his voice, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, that is, gazed at, and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. <clears throat> he goes on and says, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, not only just the Father, but with his Son, Jesus Christ. So you see right there, Christ is seen, understood, known to be God the Son. Imagine if we were in this situation here. 
Imagine if someone amongst our own body, you can go ahead and pick whoever you want to, <clears throat> after spending a year here, two years here, three years here, you know, you get to know them and you're, you're taking time to establish relationships with them. Eventually, though, they'd start denying the core truths of the faith. Maybe you even respected them as a leader of the congregation, right? They're active doing a whole, what they need to do, you know, they're discipling other people. And then they start turning away. They start preaching a different Jesus, holding out a different gospel. And they try, try to start a different church, a false church even. You know, to the young Christian, these events would have, I think, rocked them. Maybe in fear or self-doubt, they would have... These false teachers would have gotten the young believer to question whether or not they even had the real Jesus to begin with. And so we have the letter of 2 John. From verses 4 to 8, the first thing John says, this is point number one, if you're taking notes. The first thing John says is, look, church, persevere in truth and love. Persevere in truth and love. This is what John rejoices in. Look there in verse 4. He says there, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Now, we're not entirely sure um, how exactly he knew that the church members were persevering. Maybe, uh, maybe they had sent a letter to John and let him know this is what's going on. Or maybe some of the people of the church went to go and see them or see him. Regardless, he goes on and he sends this letter. He rejoices that they are, look there, walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So here I think this sentence really kind of fills in the definition of perseverance. We have persistently walking in truth according to the Father. If we're going to find a definition here, we have persistently walking in truth according to the Father. Other terms for this idea of walking are abiding or remaining in Jesus Christ. And you see here these two aspects of perseverance, and it's amazing how basic... John's advice to them is in the face of difficult times. You have these two aspects. He says, look, there is an embracing of truth, real truth, believing who Jesus really says he is, and then receiving it. This is what some boil persevering in Christianity down to, though, in a bad way. Without doubt, it is an embracing of truth. It is a receiving of truth, believing who Jesus is. But some people believe that, that Christianity is all about believing these truths and holding to them, ascribing them in a cold manner. You know, like we all get together, as I mentioned last week, we all get together and decide on what exactly we're going to believe, and we just sort of uh, pull up our bootstraps and just believe it, go on and hold to it. But the second aspect actually counteracts that. Here there's the aspect of love, of the one that we believe in. We love Christ who speaks, which involves walking there. The walking involves love. It involves living in truth. You see this, you see this even in the very language he uses there in verse 4. John is concerned with them walking in truth. The very thing that the false teachers are not doing. And then look at the relationship he sets the Christians in. Look at what he reminds us of. He says, as children walk in their good father's counsel, the good father's wisdom, the good father's direction here. Isn't it interesting? He holds out this, this family understanding here. It's not just a cold describing the truth of uh, a checking off of truths that we believe, but no, it's walking according to our good father's commands and counsel. 
It speaks of these this deep bonds of family love when we're walking <coughs> in truth. I think this certainly would have reassured the church as they saw people that they knew turn their backs on them and leave. Here John says, no, you walk in your father's good wisdom and truth and love. Look there at verses 5 and 6. You see this further connection between truth and love or law and love, command and love. It says there, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So we hear in those verses, we have the command to love, and then we have a definition of love. As we seek to understand these issues, it is clear that if you love someone, you cherish their words. It's something I mentioned before. If you love someone, you cherish their words. You actually go on and listen to them. You heed their counsel and you pay attention. John here, he's just repeating the teaching that's throughout all of Scripture. <coughs> you have the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5, he says there, God says, he gives a command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Then Leviticus 19.18, he also gives another command to love. He says, uh, love your neighbors as yourselves. So a lot think that Christianity is all about laws. So some people, they think Christianity is all about ascribing, coldly ascribing to truths. Some people think that Christianity is all about coldly walking in laws, fulfilling it as, as if it's, uh, we're supposed to walk in a certain morality. And it is. But the law that it is about is probably not the law you might think. It really is about the law of love. Jesus himself clarifies for everyone, saying that all the law hangs on two great commandments. In Matthew 22, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first command, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All of the Old Testament basically boils down to those two things. So that's what you can boil down Christianity to right there. And all of it is ultimately based in Jesus Christ who fulfills the law. So Jesus says in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, if anyone says that they love Jesus, he will keep my word. And it's not he's not talking about doing what Jesus says minus the heart. Like when our parents, let's say, told us to uh, come home at our 10 p.m. curfew when we were little kids, and we grumbled all the way home, we complained all the way home, but yet we did obey them, didn't we? We would have said, yeah, sure, we did what you said, but there was no heart. We were obeying in the absence of love. Jesus says that's not love. Jesus says that's not even receiving my commandments. He says, if you receive my commandments... You will obey what I say and love me. And so here, what he's telling the Christians to do is he says, look, you, you, I rejoice that you're walking in truth. Continue doing that and do it in a way where you trust Christ, where you love Christ in the moment, where we appreciate Christ's wisdom. We appreciate Christ's care and concern, and we appreciate Christ's authority over us. So here, this obedience is in recognition and in submission of all that he is. Thinking back to the church's situation here. People are leaving. 
It's safe to say that the church was in a crisis situation, weren't they? And I'm sure you guys know what you do in crisis situations. <coughs> at least some of you guys. Some of you guys, in crisis situations, you're so stone-faced, people wonder if you're human. Others of you, you know, you're catastrophizing, you're grasping after anything possible, you're panicking, you're freaking out, you start questioning yourself in, in every single little thing, and eventually maybe you freeze. <clears throat> What do we do in those moments? Here, this church, they're seeing their friends, maybe even some of their leaders go, they're seeing some of their teachers deny the faith, maybe they themselves are freaking out. But John's words here tell us so much about what is fundamental to the Christian faith, doesn't it? He tells us what is of first importance. Thinking back to keep calm, carry on. <clears throat> you know, if you go on their website... Somehow people have monetized it, now they're marketing it, uh, they're sort of ripping it out of context before it was meant to boost the morale of the English as they were going into war. <clears throat> now people are making money off of it. So they got shirts like this. This is of what's of first importance, right? And you know, th these are all in jest, but we can understand. Look, in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation of crisis, how do we do what is of most importance? And you have people, these shirts are saying, keep calm and watch Top Gear. You got another one, keep calm and eat Nutella. Or, you know, keep calm and, you know, cheer for your soccer team that you love. They even understand, look, in, in some sort of circumstances, this is of what's most important, first importance. John comes along and he says to the Christian, keep calm, believe in Christ and abide in him. In the crisis situation, I think we, we see here what is fundamental and of first importance to the Christian faith. Believe in Jesus Christ and go on and abide in Him. And there were many people, it says in 2 John, there were many people who were leaving the church there for many deceivers. Look there in 7. So this is a big deal. And John says, I rejoice to see you walking in truth. Keep on doing it. Cling to Christ and abide in Him. If you're visiting with us and you know yourselves not to believe in Jesus Christ. Here we see that believing in Jesus Christ is of first importance. And the most fundamental thing that you can do if you're exploring what it means to be a Christian. Right? He doesn't give us all these other solutions. The solution he gives us is to believe in Jesus and continue in his truth. So Christianity is not about merely coldly holding beliefs this is about once again truths about a person to be worshipped so this is why john is so clear to walk in the words of christ is to walk in the words of your very own creator to receive his truth is to receive his truths to you as the bible says that it is through christ that all things were made and it is through for christ that all things were made so believing in Jesus here, receiving Jesus' truth and walking in them, it just reflects this understanding that the Bible holds out that there is a God over us and he has made everything to be in relationship with him. But we have sinned against him and earned for ourselves just condemnation and death, even judgment in hell. These are all bad things. But the fundamental thing that gets us back into relationship with God, our creator, is receiving Jesus for who he is. As, he, as God the Father sent his son to die on the cross for sinners. And so he lives the righteous life that we could not. And he dies on the cross, bearing the wrath, 
and the sin that we had committed, the wrath that we deserved, in order that we would be free. So he dies where we should have, as our substitute. So salvation is at stake here. When people are heading out the door, teaching a different Christ, a different gospel, starting a different and false church, here salvation's at stake, which is why he says, I'm rejoicing. I praise God that some of you are walking in faith. This speaks of a whole entire worldview. So John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So when John is writing this letter to him, he's showing that he cares and he loves for this church here. And he tells them to continue walking in truth. And for you, non-Christian, John's words here calls you to repent of your sins and believe on Christ and you will have forgiveness, right? That's what's at stake. Justification, right standing with God. That's what's at stake. Adoption into God's family. That's what's at stake. And so this is, it is imperative here that we guard this church here and John and then us guard that which is of first importance, as I mentioned last week, only God could die for sin and bear his own eternal wrath. Man certainly couldn't. And only man could die for man's sins because it is man who sinned. And so here the wonderful thing is, is God sends the God-man to die on the cross for sins, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. And so to deny Jesus is to not get the Father and is to lose salvation. So what do we make of those who don't persevere? What do we make of those who don't persevere? This is point number two. What do we make of those who don't persevere? Look there in verse seven. He says that for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So these folks in the church, they were not walking according to the truths of Christ. Instead, they were turning their backs on Jesus Christ. They embraced false teaching and became false teachers. Once again, they taught that Jesus Christ was not the God-man. They denied that God, he was God the Son come in the flesh, which is John, why John makes it so clear in the passages that we read in 1 John. We really have seen him and heard him and gazed upon him. We have touched him. We spent time with him. And John was a disciple of Jesus's. He's saying, look, this is legit. They most likely taught, once again, that Christ only appeared to be human, but really was not. This is why they were deceivers, right? They walk in the very footsteps of Satan, who is called the deceiver. And then he goes even, he makes it even more clear, This says that they are antichrists, or those who are against Christ. And then once again, in 1 John 2, verses 18 and 19, we saw that they left, they departed from the church, and they proved themselves to not be Christians. And they're kind of sealing their own condemnation. They are not part of them. Now, I know Christ, uh, Christian and non-Christian, I hope you guys realize and see very clearly that not everyone who claims Jesus is claimed by Christ. Not everyone who claims Christ is claimed by Christ. So the Bible gives us this category for those who claim Christ, but who are not true Christians. Mormons, for example, they are actually not Christians. And if you're here as a Mormon, you know, I don't intend to be mean to you. I don't intend to insult you. But you look at historic Christianity, whether it be the church throughout ages. So when the church was started up until now, or even uh, the Christianity in the Bible, God has never said that he is uh, that there is there are multiple gods. 
for Mormonism, they hold that, they, they acknowledge polytheism. So, but if you look here at the Bible, there is no such thing as polytheism. There are no other gods. There might be things who claim to be gods. There might be evil spirits who might be, be behind those who claim to be other gods. But there really are not other gods. This is something entirely different than historic Christianity. So not everyone who claims a Christ will be claimed by Christ. And Jesus makes this really clear too in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So they're professing, Lord, Lord. They're claiming, Lord, Lord. They're even doing deeds in the name of Jesus. He says, not everyone who claimed, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, in reading 2 John, I am reminded of the benefits of church discipline. You know, their situation. I'm reminded of the benefits of church discipline. Church discipline is the process of removing someone from official church membership if they reject Jesus Christ or if they refuse to repent of their sins. This is church membership. Does, I mean, church discipline does not mean re- removing somebody because they sin, right? We all sin. That's not why we remove somebody. We remove somebody because they reject Jesus, or if they refuse to repent of their sin. So those things are very different there. In relation to their situation, these folks were outright rejecting who Jesus was, rejecting the Trinity. And in church discipline, the church moves to remove that person from church membership to protect the name of Jesus and protect the church. And to show, really, the seriousness of the sin and call that person to repent and believe. And so, we see that in 1 Corinthians 5, as we mentioned and talked about in our church membership class, church discipline is not uh, retributive. It's not like the church responds and says, oh man, we're going to get you back. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 5, it's restorative. The aim is to restore, as we see in that case in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 there, that person is supposed to Repent of his sins and be saved on the day of the Lord. But imagine if we as a church did not pursue church discipline with someone who adopted the views of polytheism. Someone who adopted the views of, let's say, no, Jesus didn't really exist, which means he didn't really die on the cross, which means we're still in our sin. And really, since there is no God-man mediator, then we ourselves need to work for our salvation. I mean, imagine if we didn't discipline someone who taught these things and you were the person who held to these false truths and then you went out into your communities and your barber shops and your stores that you bought and you know you were talking about what you believe to all of your friends and they said oh what church do you go to and they say oh we go to first baptist church that's the church that we go to wouldn't everybody think about think of our church in that all of a sudden now we have to work for our salvation now, all of a sudden, we believe that God is not one, but God is uh, many. There, there, we believe in polytheism or something like that. All of a sudden, God's name would be dishonored, wouldn't it? And even the name of this church would be dishonored if we did not pursue church discipline. Now, of course, for those that uh, we would discipline, 
Of course we want to say, look, the church is the best place you can be. Of all places, this is where you hear the word preached, this is where the spirit goes forward and where your heart is changed. But nevertheless, we still need to remove you from church membership because you're not believing in who Jesus is. Or you're not living in ways that accord with sound doctrine. It makes me appreciative of church discipline, no matter how hard it might seem, no matter how difficult it might be. But here in church discipline, especially for those who deny biblical doctrine, here we protect the name of Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that he saves in the way that he says he will save. (coughs) But given that there are deceivers and antichrists, what is the church to do? This is point number three. What is the church to do? How are we to persevere specifically? John's first answer is found in verse 8. And then the second answer is found in verse 10, which Oscar is going to preach on next week. But there, look in verse 8. He says so clearly, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So there you have the command, watch yourselves. On the negative side, if you do not, then you lose what we have worked for. And then on the positive side, you would gain, you would get a full reward. So they see here, right? Salvation is at stake. This is what at stake is what is at stake in perseverance, walking in truth and love. If you are careless, then you lose what we have worked for. If you are diligent and if you persevere, then we win our full reward. You know, when John speaks about these, about losing what we have worked for, he's not saying that a true Christian can lose his or her salvation. That's not what he's saying. I think this means that those who lose. Those who lose, they show themselves to never had true faith to begin with. So we want to keep on keep in mind 1 John 2, chapter 19, which we read earlier. Those who went out from us showed that they were never part of us, for if they remained with us, then they, w- they would have shown that they were with us. These folks who lose, these folks who are careless, uh, they're like those represented in Jesus' parable of the soils, Right? Where a sower goes out to sow the word of God and some fall on these soils and some fall on this good soil. And it's, it's interesting, even one of the soils that the seed falls on is like rocky soil. And the seed springs up really fast. And it says, Jesus says, actually, that it springs up because the person receives the word of God with joy. But when the sun comes, when trials and persecutions come, they fade away. Meaning they don't have the faith. They never received the word to begin with. But if you were to look at them, you look at them as if they are sprouting up in joy. And so if you were to look at them and see them both growing, you wouldn't exactly be able to tell who is genuine and who's not because they're both springing forth from from different soils and they're both growing, but one eventually fades away. Those are the folks who do not abide. Those are the folks who in verse 9... These are the folks who go on ahead and do not abide in the teaching of Christ. They do not have God. Right? These are, these are the false teachers. They, they forget this old Jesus. I'm going on with a new, more relevant Jesus. They don't have the teachings of God. They don't abide in the Trinity. They don't abide in the deity of the Son of God. On the flip side, those who persevere, those, they are those who gain a full reward. This idea of reward in the New Testament carries with it ideas of the end, eternal life, that is brought to the person who perseveres. 
So John doesn't mean that if you don't persevere, you're only going to get a half a reward or a quarter of a reward. He says, no, those who persevere, they go all the way until the end, which is what Jesus says. Those who are faithful, those who have received the word, they persevere all the way until the end. So Christian, if so much is at stake here in perseverance, and even warning the false teachers, if so much is at stake, then why do we take perseverance in watching ourselves so lightly? So think about yourself. Like, How do you go about watching yourself, yourself and then others around you? How do you go about practically doing that? I think many times a lot of Christians, they approach their pursuit of Jesus as if it were a hobby. As if it were like their favorite television show. You know, if it fits on my schedule, eh, it's not a big deal. I just go do something else. Or maybe even worse, we approach Christianity as if it's that thing that we do on Sundays. And so we take so many other things more seriously, as is evidenced by how much time we spend on fantasy football leagues. Not that that's bad in and of itself. Flipping through clothing catalogs online or with the physical thing itself. Trying to figure out how to make money. Or maybe even figure out how to go ahead and continue on doing your favorite hobby. Right? We take those things so much more seriously. We watch ourselves. We guard ourselves. We carve out time to ensure that me and my friends are all doing what we want to do so we can live the life that we want to live. But yeah, when it comes to watching ourselves. And persisting in sound doctrine, walking in God's truth, making sure that we are receiving it and believing it and walking in it and loving Jesus. You know, hey, if we get around to it, sure. So what is required of us if we must watch ourselves? First, I think it requires a healthy dose of reality. A healthy dose of reality. The fact that false teachers are out there and they actually want to lead you astray. So turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Turn over to your left. Matthew chapter 7. We're trying to get a dose of reality here so that we might watch ourselves more diligently. And even so that we might rebuke those who live in false doctrine and win them out from error to see them saved. Look at what Jesus says in verse 15 of chapter 7. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So even a healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. It's interesting that by all appearances here, they seem to be sheep. They walk the walk. They talk the talk. They're spitting out Bible verses. They probably know a lot about the Bible. They can claim a Christ, preach a gospel, but it is a false Christ. And a false gospel. For the situation in 2 John, they claim a Christ, but they do not love the real Christ. They are, in fact, wolves. Friends, are there even wolves in your mind? Those who might believe that that their world is a cupcake? Is there even a wolf in your mind that comes in sheep's clothing? 
Because if you don't have that category in mind, you live in a very different world than Jesus does. He says that these wolves will come dressed in sheep's clothing. And then in Matthew, verse, in Matthew 24, Jesus says that false teachers will come once again in his name. They're going to bring his name. They're going to say that they are representatives of him, but really they are not. We as Christians would be supremely naive, given Christ's word, supremely naive to think that everyone who claims to be a Christian is really a Christian. And so he says there, look, you're going to know them by their fruits. Thus we are to watch ourselves. For some reason, some Christians have the false understanding that love means accepting, being accepting, and affirming of everyone and everything, regardless of what they believe. But friends, we are, we are not this affirming when it comes to who we let babysit our children, right? Just because somebody says, oh, I'm legit, I got no felonies in my background, I'm clean, I've never done any of the scary things you, you think I might have done, does that mean that you ought to say, yeah, that's a good idea, babysit my children, go take them to Disneyland for all I care. No, we're going to be, we're going to watch ourselves. We're going to guard our children. We're actually going to say, for the children's nursery workers, hey, we actually need a background check because we care about our kids. And so every visitor that comes in, they say, oh yeah, we actually have a background check. That way you can actually trust us as we look after your children. No, we understand what it's like to, to guard our children. But yet when it comes to guarding the body, we're not so effective or maybe even so diligent. And don't get me wrong, we are to love the non-Christian, love the enemy. But it doesn't mean we are just to assume um, that they love Jesus. Or assume that they are not wolves in sheep's clothing. We're supposed to check them. Uh, turn over to 1 John, back to 1 John. We see here John's concern once again. John's really clear in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe them, all of them, but test them to see whether they are from God or not. For many false teachers and prophets have gone out into the world. He goes on to say, By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It's really clear. Very black and white. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now and now is in the world already. It's very clear. He says, do not believe them, but test them. So here we got to ask ourselves, are we the naive ones who, seem that, who, who think that no one needs testing? From this passage, it says that no, we as a church want to be watchful over ourselves. So once again, thank God for church membership, right? Thank God for church membership. As one has described it, it is church membership is like our skin, it's a skin that covers us, and it's discriminating, right? So our skin chooses to let in some things and not other things. Uh, thank God. Same with a cell wall, all of you bio folks. You know, if your cell wall does great, wonderful things. Like, what if all of a sudden your cell wall just says, eh, I don't really think so. I'm going to not discriminate. I'm going to not <coughs> test certain things. And then we all go out into the rain, and then all of a sudden we just fill up with water, and we're just sort of dripping, and we expand, you know, times a thousand because we absorb all of the water. So church membership is very much like our very own skin, right? It needs to be discerning. Discerning in love, always. Thank God our skin loves us. It wants to protect us largely. 
uh, because of our skin sometimes, our, our sin, our skin is kind of messed up, but, uh, you know, uh, membership should act in love, discriminate in love. Test every spirit, every spirit, it says, do not believe every spirit. Church membership is a great thing. It keeps this body healthy by taking what it is supposed to take in into formal membership. Again, if you're a non-Christian, you're visiting with us, we're glad you can join us. We look forward to getting to know you. Uh, I look forward to talking to you, and hopefully we all look forward to, to spending time with you. But here we're talking about formal church membership. I'm glad you're checking us out. I invite you to come talk to, talk to me at the door if you're wanting to know more about Jesus Christ. So you, Christian... I hope you guys are not alarmed, panicking, thinking that there's sheeps or wolves in sheep's clothing around you. I don't mean to scare you, nor do you need to be scared if you come across a wolf. But you do need to take it seriously. Did you notice that John encourages the church to just go about doing what the church is always supposed to do? There's no real sign of fear here. John's not saying, oh, you really need to freak out. He just says, look, you continue doing what you Christians have always done. Even though we know that false teachers are sowing some deadly doctrine, he says, abide in Christ, you worship him, be watchful. And it would not be helpful, thinking of you guys, thinking about guarding this church, it would not be helpful for you guys to go around actively questioning and suspecting people's professions of faith okay that's not what i'm encouraging you to do do not go around actively uh, with suspicion questioning people's professions of faith so this is how you can get into conversations where you might say okay i really wonder about that Uh, i get into conversations all the time with people who say that they are christians but then an effort to do them spiritual good as their new friend it's on me to not assume it's on you guys if you're meeting a christian friend It's on you to not assume. And that doesn't mean you don't love them. No, you actually want to do them spiritual good. So when I get into conversations, we can just administer some tests in a normal, friendly way that we all would do. And we can turn to 1 John for these tests. Uh, Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, which we actually just read about. Do they love the true Jesus? Do they love the true Jesus? This is a love the true Jesus test. Right? Okay, so if there are false teachers out there who claim not to believe in the true Christ, who are twisting the nature of who Jesus is and holding it out to us, they don't believe in the true Jesus. So that's one test, right? Do you love the true Jesus or not? Do you love walking like Jesus? Is another one. Do you love walking like Jesus? 1 John verses 1, 5 to 6. Go ahead and turn over there. 1 John verses 1 and 5 to 6. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Keeping on that one, turn over to the next chapter, 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. He says there, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's the do you walk like Jesus test, okay? So if you meet somebody and they say, yeah, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend, sleeping with my girlfriend, we live together. 
Or, yeah, man, it was great. I went to go party. I got drunk on Friday night. And then you're up, they turn up here at church or you're interacting with them. Then you can know, remember what Jesus says. You will know them by their fruit. So if they're happy to live in these sinful things and they're not repenting of it, that's the key here. They're not repenting of it. Then according to scripture, we ought to think, actually, that they are of the world. And not of Jesus Christ. Another test. Do we do they love Christ's people? 1 John 4, 7, 11. Turn over there. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So he's linking love with knowing God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this is love. God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So if there is somebody who claims to be a Christian, but doesn't care about the church, based on this, or loving his brothers and sisters, we ought to say, "Uh, at the very least, they might not know these teachings. So we have the wonderful opportunity to instruct and to help other people understand what it means to really be a Christian. So all of us, imagine, you know, the 50 of us, the 40 of us here, we all scatter during the week. We're all telling people, those of us who are true believers, we're all telling people around us what a true Christian is. True Christian believes that Jesus Christ came in the flesh to die on the cross for sins, and we love him. A true Christian receives his commands. A true Christian walks like Jesus in holiness. A true Christian loves Christ's people. So when it comes to the church, we ought to fight to see God's glory displayed to the universe, a beautiful Christ. We love his commands and we love his people. So this is how we can actively go about watching ourselves. And then when it comes to the church also, you can trust the membership process that involves you guys. So it doesn't only involve me. If you're joining the church, remember this. um, The membership process doesn't only fall on me. It doesn't only fall on Oscar, but it falls on you guys. So when we bring people before you guys to vote on and take into membership, it's not a popularity poll. Like, who likes Sung? Everybody raise your hand. It is, do I know Sung enough, and do I trust uh, the pastor and the staff to have done their job, interviewing them, seeing if they're really Christian or not, so that when I vote, I say, yes, I affirm that that man holds to the true gospel, loves the true Christ, and is living his life in such a way to really be a Christian. That's on you guys. So we're going to have our membership meeting in a couple weeks from here, and that's on you to vote and to bring people into membership as well as see people out when the case requires. The second way we can be watchful If the first requires a healthy dose of reality, the second is we need to be watchful and that requires us to love. Second, being watchful requires us to love. It requires you guys to care enough to watch out for others in the church in effort to protect and guard them as if they really are our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. It requires you care about that. I think this was part of what the the driving force of God's instruction in the Old Testament was. In Deuteronomy, there God knows that they're going into the promised land and God warns them. He says, let me tell you what you guys need to do before you go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, take care. Take care, guys. 
and keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So he says, look, guys, take care of your souls diligently and then make them known to your children, your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children also. You see how being watchful involves more than just loving yourself? <coughs> Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Loving, or sorry, being watchful involves so much more than just loving yourself. God intends these people, Israel, to be watchful and diligent in keeping their souls. God intends you to be watchful in keeping your own soul, not only for your benefit, but in order that future generations would be secure in the Lord, and also, as we apply it to today, that we here would be secure in the Lord. So by way of application, do you care for your brothers enough, your sisters enough, your children, and your children's children, to throw weight behind learning to love Christ and His commands? When we were to examine your daily schedules, your weekly schedules, your monthly schedules, do you throw weight behind showing love to Jesus Christ and learning to love Him? and your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus called his disciples to keep watch, didn't he? Remember back in the Garden of Gethsemane? Christ, before he was betrayed, brought his disciples with him, where he took time to pray in Matthew 24. And Jesus tells his disciples, keep watch with me. So he goes away, and then he prays. Then when he comes back, this is what the Bible says, he found them sleeping. His words, he goes on and says, Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watching requires effort. And these folks who were sleeping, when Christ needed them the most, maybe, they were not diligent. They were careless. This watching here, friends, requires vigilance. It requires discipline. We do not want to be caught, you do not want to be caught sleeping when we are supposed to be caught watching over our own brothers and sisters and watching over our own souls. Now if Jesus needed his brothers with him, even though he is the God-man able to resist sin, able to resist the devil, how much more does your brother and sister sitting to your left and to your right need us to throw weight behind watching our souls and watching out for them? So do you throw your, your backs into Bible reading? And then also into prayer. Not just so that you would be edified or so that you can complete reading the Bible, which I'm trying to do this year. But doing so in effort to care and love your neighbor who's right next to you. You know, there's those who read for fun or habit. And maybe they go on and they read, uh, you know, fiction. Maybe they read biographies, things like that. And they throw weight behind that. How about throwing our weight behind things that are of first importance. Reading the Bible, praying for others, being watchful and on guard because what is at stake is the salvation of your souls. So I got a, li I got a reading list for 2016. And I know some of you guys have a reading list for 2016 too. You know, you want to read through the Bible, you want to read through other books um, that might help you. I admit here, sometimes I just want to get the stuff done just out of sheer discipline. Just get it done, fill off my checklist, and then move on. 
I read, I pray through the Bible, and then in, and then in order to uh, you know, expand knowledge, I go on and read other things. But how awesome would it be if I submitted my reading list with the knowledge that I'm supposed to guard you guys with the very knowledge that I take in? With the devotional thoughts that I have, I'm supposed to pass it on to other people. And I'm throwing my back, even in a simple reading list, in an effort to watch myself. And then with all that I gain, I'm able to help you guys watch yourself too. Imagine if we were all doing that. 50 people doing this together for one another. Are you throwing your backs behind watching yourself in love and loving your neighbor as yourself? Just as you want to see yourself built up in Christ, so I pray that you would want to see your neighbor built up in Christ. Friends, we are to persevere to conclude. John is so clear, he rejoices to find some of them walking in truth. He calls them to persevere in the truth. And then he says, watch yourselves. If not, we show ourselves not to be believers at all. But if we do, we win the end times reward that God is bringing to us in Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, help us persevere and help us love in truth. Father, we pray that you would help us walk in your truth and persevere in your truth. Just like this church was commanded. Father, we pray that we would do these things motivated by love. In effort to proclaim your truth to the watching world and in effort to guard your truth even amongst our church. Lord, we ask that you would help us by your spirit. Lord Jesus, we pray that this wouldn't merely be about ascribing coldly to your truths, but we would be reminded of the fact that these truths have to do with you who are to be worshipped. Father, help us abide in you and help us take joy and love as we do it. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, we pray, in Christ's cross. In your name we ask, amen.